What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Den Talks Podcast is powered by DenAnywhere.com. You guys go to DenAnywhere.com now, no matter where you live in the world, and you can take our classes virtually and live. Go to denanywhere.com and sign up for just $29.99 a month. You get a limited access to our classes with over 150 a month to choose from. Plus, most of them are archived, so if you can't make the exact time, you can catch them later. We still also have our workshops and our certifications now all accessible to you no matter where you are. Go to denanywhere.com. Welcome to Den Talks Podcast. This is Tal. I am your host, and I am the founder of Den Meditation. This episode is interesting because it's a little different than people we talk to, and that's what I love about it. Um, We're talking to Angelia Bianca, who goes basically by Bianca. I love it, kind of like Madonna, one name. And she wrote this book in deep. Why I wanted her on here is because this woman has lived some life. You know, she was raised in Chicago. She, her mother left when she was five years old, and she was raised mostly by her Sicilian grandmother and dad, who was connected to the mob. And she was spoiled, 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 spoiled. I think everyone felt really guilty that her mom had left. And she was really smart and really active. And the problem was she basically started smoking pot at age nine. And before you knew it, she was like a high school dropout, scamming. I mean, the scams were brilliant. Everything from how to get bus fare, how to, you know, go on tour with different bands. I mean, at a certain point, she was scamming airlines for like twenty to $30,000 a pop. Um, you know, it got a little dark where she started scamming, you know, adoption services and some elderly. But she always had a hustle. She always had a scam and she always made money. And she had a really bad drug problem. Shocker. She was living on the streets. And she went from living in Arizona to, you know, having different husbands. She has five kids, all that she had to give up at some point. And by the end, it was really sad. She went in and out of jail multiple, multiple times. She also was really lucky and missed chances to go to jail, too, because she had so many people working for her. And again, she could scam the system. But she served a lot of time. And each and every time she came out, she went right back to the dope, right back to the heroin. So this is a deep and dark story of a woman who was homeless, literally, by the end. I mean, she was just turning tricks, barely surviving, hour by hour, and just trying to feed that dark habit, which unfortunately, I think so many of us know people who are like this. Now, the beautiful part of the story is she does make a turn. She has a moment in jail, which we do talk about in the podcast, and she really does kind of start praying for her life to change. And since that point, she has helped people every single day. She's now lives, as she says, check to check, but she feels like the richest person in the world. And she helps people on the streets. She helps violence and gun violence and gang violence. She literally has stepped, and if you read this book, it's incredible. She stands in the middle of sometimes wars, where the minute she sees something about to happen, she will pull her car over and actually stand in front of a gun. She's so immersed in this world now, and with the people, she actually makes changes. Now, don't get us wrong. She loses people sometimes, too. That's the tragic side of her job. But she really is this case point example of never give up hope. People can change. People can transform. And I just feel like it is so important on this podcast to also 
to talk to people like this because I think we sometimes live in this surface world of thinking, oh, we just have to make it okay and we're all good. And we forget that there is darkness everywhere, but darkness can turn into light. And who we are is multifaceted and multipurpose. And we can change and transform and we can always get to the light. And I feel like she is a perfect buoyant because she's actually very buoyant <laughs> and has a lot of energy examples. So I really hope you like this episode. I hope you listen to all of her stories and I hope you can hear how she's making changes now too. But for anyone who has, anyone who's going through this tragedy of addiction or homelessness, I think this is actually a really helpful episode as well to know how to help deal with that and how to help support. Um, I love talking to her. I find it fascinating. I hope you like this episode too. How are you? I'm so glad to finally talk to you. Yeah, I know, right? Um, I wish I was in LA because it's warmer. I know, but something came up and I normally... Like last night, I had like a um, knot in my stomach because I'm at the Grammys every year. And so like I didn't go this year and I felt like kind of like gypped or I mean, I could have gone, but it's just weird. I feel like I remember that. I follow you. I feel like I remember you were right. And you I feel like you've always been big in the music scene, haven't you? That what? You've always seemed to be big in the music scene, like even. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I'm. A, I am. I am the rock check for sure. <laughs> so, um, among other things, but my love of music has always been, as long as I can remember, until I didn't hear it anymore because my life took me down that dark place that there was no music, right? But anyway, um, but I had fun last night. Anyway. Because I went to uh, one of Buddy Guy's shows in Chicago. So, yeah. Why didn't, why didn't you come to the Grammys this year? Um, because of my job. Because yeah. I've got had some other stuff going on. And normally, you know, I mean, I have days I could have taken up. But it was just not going to, it was just going to be too rushed. I, I was going to fly out Friday and then fly back to Chicago tomorrow. And then it was like some stuff came up. Because I work with a... <clears throat> you know, a population that are involved in high restricted activity. So yeah. um, stuff stuff happens. So I was not able to make it. Though I'm sad, but it's okay. I just well, left California. I was in California last month. So Yeah, no. I mean, look, I'm so glad to be on the phone with you. And like you were just saying, what you do is incredible that you're working with such – it's not only that you're working with, like, high-risk populations. You're putting yourself actually in the middle of it. And Mm -hmm. sometimes literally in the middle of fire. Oh, literally. Yeah. Literally, which I find so amazing. And I love, and you were doing so much good and you can actually, you yourself can see it. You know, when you've actually saved a life, it's not even just figuring. You know, like people will often ask me, there's a lot of naysayers out there and there's a lot of people that are like, why do you bother? These young people don't want to change their lives and all this stuff. And I use myself as an example. I didn't want to change my life either, only because I didn't think. I mean, I was like, I don't know if you read my book, but oh yeah, we're about to talk about it. Okay, but I mean, I was having a lot of fun, and you know, um, and when people said this to me, I'm like, so like, I'm I'm a perfect example. Now I know that there's a lot of people that don't like, like we always say, even when you're in that life. You know, I'm gonna get my shit together. Am I allowed to swear or no? Oh, uh, uh, please, fuck yes. Uh, okay, <laughs> <laughs> I was have to ask. <laughs> anyway, I'm gonna get my shit together. Somewhere inside of us, we we really do want to, right? But it's kind of like um, another foreign foreign like like Star Wars, right? Right, a galaxy far far away that we're not sure really how to get there to be like normal, right? And and it's and it's a um, 
you're lost, right? But anyway, so I am not a bleeding heart liberal, but I am a hopeless optimistic, right? So I'm never going to give up on anybody, never. Yesterday I was um, at Cook County Jail. I go off, like I felt like yesterday, it was crazy, chapter one of my book, I felt like I reenacted chapter one of my book because it was the same guy, this, oh. like just read the beginning, the same guy in the book. It's his fourth gun case. Now it's his fifth. You know, you know I, and he, they know I'll go. And there's really, I'm not a lawyer, but I can kind of uplift them to, you know, stay well, that's, positive. That's what I thought was so amazing when I like right off the bat, I'm like, wow, you went in there and like you said, to Cook's County, you go to the jail because the girlfriend calls you and you go in and there's really nothing you can do. And you know that, you know that. Going I know in. that, right. Mm-hmm. You know that when you're about to take probably the next six hours of your life, if not more, because it takes so long. You have to drive there. You have to go through the oh, whole process. Mm-hmm. And you talk about that, what it's like to even visit someone and how some people go and visit and they do this whole process and they don't even get to visit. And so it's, it's quite a thing and it's freezing and cold and you do all this knowing it's physically going to be hard for you. It's going to be exhausting. It's going to take you knowing there's nothing you can do in that moment except give them a little bit of lightness and hope, hopefully. Yeah. I just want to, um, like, yesterday, I was literally, um, so, again, I got a phone call from his girlfriend, and, you know, she told me, and I was just like, oh, my God, because I kind of had some fear when he, after he got, got out. He did go to prison after that time that I talked in the book, but I'm not, not a, you know, I'm a couple years, whatever. So he did get out and, you know, I was trying to, you know, I mean, you know, it is what it is. Some guys, like there was nothing anyone was going to be able to say to me to say, you know, get me out of that life. So I totally understand the person has to be ready. And sometimes when we're in jail, like you're like, Oh, I'll do anything. I'm ready. I'm ready. Well, yeah, of course you're facing like a judge would say, well, sure. Now all of a sudden you want this, you want that because you're facing 10, 20 years. Right. So when I went yesterday, you know, I just, he came out and it's glass window. And then, um, I was, cause you have to talk in this little speaker that's in, in the glass, you know, so you got to put your hand mouth to it and then he puts his ear and then vice versa. Right. So I, I go, can just look at, look up at me. And so then he, he looks up and I hit the, um, glass, okay. like, you know, like three times, like that was my, um, motion to say, I really want to hit you on your head. You know, right. I'm, I'm the anti-violence lady, but so I, I actually would never hit anyone, but it was the glass, right? <laughs> like you want to knock so, some sense in them. Yeah, I do. You know, I'm like, you know, I told him, you know, you know, I, I said, listen, whatever I can do to help minimize the damage. And this time, like he's got quite a record, but this time he real the gun really wasn't his, you know I mean? Like, you know, and, and anyone could say, Oh no, I'm innocent or whatever. But like, I get like real, like I'm in the communities in the streets. So I kind of know the back end story. You know what I mean? Like I would yeah, know. You get the real, you get it. You actually talk. To I get the real story. Happened. Yeah. So it, it really wasn't his gun, but he was in the car and he was driving and he had, probably had the worst record of anybody. So, you know, he, he was going to get the gun. So I said, listen, first of all, you know, he's like, no, Bianca, I, you know, I'm going to be, I'm going to fight this. I'm not guilty. And I said, okay, no, I, I, as you should, 
you know, I'm going to be here for you. I'll come visit you. Um, you know, I'll send you letter. You know, I, I write like a one pager letter, some, something to uplift somebody because that hopelessness in their eyes, you know, I mean, as you should fight regardless. Right. So, um, you know, I mean, I could have said, you know, the typical, like, you know, the, the other side of the aisle people, you know, well, they did a lot that they got away with, you know, fuck them, you know, let them just rot in jail, you know, and I can't give up on humanity like that, you know? I mean, I love that you're saying that because, and then I want to get into your story because it is really incredible and I think it'll shed even more light on what you're doing now. But I love that you said that because I think about that a lot too, because in ways I've changed and I've always actually been a very empathetic, caring human, but it doesn't mean in certain ways that I was raised, I didn't have elements of things of like, well, what did they also really do? What are they going to do with that money? What, like the stuff you were talking about, it's like, could be very little. And it's funny, I've noticed as I've evolved and changed that even though that may be true sometimes, it doesn't seem to matter to me anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. Same reason of what you're saying, which is like, because ultimately there's still an element of humanity that I prefer to focus on that doesn't matter like if they also did X, Y, and Z but aren't doing this because it's still they're not going to grow or evolve if that's all we're ever concentrating on. You know, the thing is that this is, I believe this from my heart and then we can get into more actually like what I do, but um, I believe this in my heart that, you know, like forget old school of my life, right? We basically have lost a whole generation, right? Um, To plagued by violence and drugs and gangs and it's, kind of become the norm in a lot of communities, right? That are very um, disadvantaged and, you know, um, they don't have a lot of resources. You go into, I mean, and I don't just work in Chicago. I literally go into cities across America and literally around the world to some of the most dangerous cities on the planet. So I see this everywhere. And whether it's in New York or LA or Chicago or, you know, I mean, everywhere, right? So the thing is that, and I hear this a lot, and I, you know, I'm, I am very professional, even though I swear now on them, but that's the only thing I do. But other than that, I'm just saying, like, so if somebody says something, I'm, I come with a very professional um, reply, right? And um, the thing is, I, when I hear this a lot, well, I don't understand. Why doesn't that mother, why does, why does that young mother have four kids, right? And then I'm like, okay, well, I really, I mean, why does that matter? The kids are already here. Now let's move on from that. Right. that. We shouldn't be asking why did the young single mom have four, three or four kids by two different baby fathers, right? I have five children by four different baby daddies, right? So it's not a matter anymore. The children are here, are here right? So like, let's forget. It doesn't matter. That all, none of that matters, right? So, um, and another thing I hear is like, well, I don't know if I lived in Inglewood, I could, I mean, just go get a job, you know? So that's, it's like, there's not, there's some, there, I can't, I feel like there's a lot of edu. Yeah. But there's a lot of education, although I feel it's a lack of understanding. So it's a lack of understanding and it's a lack of truly understanding what that circumstance means. Well, okay. If you, if you're a person and you know, you, you really want to change your life. If you have a felony, your chances of getting a job and then you, then lack of education. Right now, see, I, you know, it's like you get stuck in the system. Yeah. You're like stuck in the system. You know, now I'm about to get my bachelor degree 
in May in inner city studies. And that's like a big deal, you know? Yeah. And uh, yeah, I remember when I was in prison and uh, I would, I was taking college classes just only because you have to have an assignment and I didn't want to have to go in the kitchen or clean toilets. Right. So (laughs) whatever my intention was in the end, I'm glad I did that. Right. Because I got my prerequisites finished, and when I got out and decided to go back to college, that counted, but I still had to take other classes. So I've been in school for a few years. But anyway, so, um, you know, I never would have believed that, right? But um, the thing is that to say, I, I, I'm blessed by God, and I'm really lucky because um, everything fell into place once I kind of threw my hands in the air, and um, when I got out of prison, and I made that prayer to God. Normally, I didn't pray. But I want to talk about that because a few things. First of all, you got out of prison. It was not your first go around. I mean, that I was... had nothing. I had nothing and nobody. Right. Because you, it's not like I went to prison once. I learned my lesson and then I got out. No. So I kind of want to go to your story first because I feel like to truly understand that moment, we have okay. to understand you a little bit more. And mm-hmm. also, as you're speaking, like you were always actually a really, really smart kid. I mean, probably. Oh God, yeah. Probably too smart for your own good, and you know, you say it really early in your book that you came from. It's funny because you say you came from lots of love and you had so much of it, but then it all went downhill anyway. But then quickly you get into the fact that your mom left when you were what five, I think, four or five. Yes, five, 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 and um, your dad, as loving and giving as he was, he didn't necessarily know how to like give you kind of dysfunctional guy. He didn't know how to be a dad. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He was kind of in the mob. Right. I mean, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But loving to you, like you were his princess and which I also love again, to go to the idea of humanity and layers and people are all created. Yeah. Multifaceted. I think it started in your family. You saw it right from the beginning. Your dad loved you so much and was providing for you. And also, yeah, he too is breaking the law in a different way than you were, but he was. Yeah. Well, in my, in my mind, um, so my family were not millionaires, but my dad, you know, he, he was a hustler. They're all, they're all hustlers. You know, he was a a major mob figure, but definitely connected. And I have other uncles that will stay unnamed right now (laughs) that were way up there, you know, but anyway, but I didn't know any of that. Right. And, um, so I did not, my grandmother, like I was her favorite and um, babies had not been born in the family for a long time. And here I came, you know, because they just went through the depression and world war two and, you know, left Sicily with nothing and all that whole scene. Right. Yeah. So, but in my mind growing up, I knew no different than that. My father had, I, I never even, even thought about it. I figured there's endless money, you know, because he was always bonding me out of jail. And even earlier when I was little, whatever I wanted, I got. And I feel like, you know, my grandmother, you know, well, my grandmother covered a lot of stuff up because my, like, like nobody wanted my father to know stuff, you know? Right. And he, he didn't come home a lot because he worked a lot and he had an apartment and he, my father was really handsome and kind of a ladies man. And, um, but when he came home, he was very respectful. And my grandmother was like the ruler of the family from Sicily, right? Well, my great-grandmother, she was actually born in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and then they came to Chicago. That part of my family came from Sicily by way of New Orleans. And then on my grandpa's side, they came by way of Ellis Island. And, um, but anyway, so um, the moment, my, like my family jokes with me now, and they say, 
you know, like sometimes in a joking way, you know, the, my, like her, my dad's brother, my uncle Joey, he'll say, Oh my God, grandma, you could have killed someone in front of her and she would have gave you an alibi, you know? And she did. So, I mean, you talk about it a lot in the book, how many times she was frustrated with you, but really covered up for you a lot. Oh yeah. She never, like she had a standing agreement. This is when I was young and we lived in Oak Park. First we lived in Little Italy and then my father, I guess, felt that it would be better because the neighborhood was changing and then they were dismantling it for the university. And then they were, it was eminent domain that they had to sell their property. Anyway, and it wasn't even, I don't think, my grandma's property, but her mom's, whatever. They, you know how Italians and yeah. families, not just Italians, but families that come, like they get a house yeah. and apartment building. Anyway, and then, so my father was like, you know, let's move to Oak Park, which that'd be, you know, it's better schools and it's a suburb right on the border of Chicago on the west side. But anyway, and so um my you know, my, my grandmother had a, a standing agreement with the Oak Park police because I was really like a juvenile delinquent, you know. Right. And she was actually not my legal guardian, my father was, right? And so um so th- there was like a, an agreement. So like the police would go, they'd call her we, we picked your granddaughter up for curfew or some stupid thing, you know, or being at the, in the park after 10, whatever. And then, so usually the parents of a juvenile, you got to go to the police station and sign them out and the parents yell at you and whatever happens. You know, I, I didn't experience that. My grandmother would tell them, okay, oh God, just put her in a cabin. Don't say anything to her father. And they would just call me a cabin and send me home. So do you feel like... And again, we all know everyone's doing the best they can with what they have. So it's not that. Yeah, and they were, they were uneducated, though. They were really smart. But none of, like, my, my uncle became a brilliant designer. I, they, they're smart. Absolutely. But do you feel like, and it's funny, because, like, in reading it as a parent, I was, like, almost taking notes, like, because it yeah, felt yeah. Like there's some serious warning signs. Do you feel like there was stuff, if done differently, you may have? I mean, we never know history. You can't like rewrite. History. Yeah, right. But do you feel like if there was different structure in your life growing up, then maybe you wouldn't have kind of gotten on the path of drugs so fast? Yeah, I, I think it's, a, we can't predict that, but I think it's a good possibility. And the reason I say that is because, um, so my grandmother, well, okay, by the time I was born and little, my family then had a business and we're starting to, you know, make some decent money. money. Yeah. Then there was the connected thing, you know, that part. But anyway, (laughs) but, um, but, um, you know, my father had no parenting skills though. Like I said, he loved me. And my grandmother, I mean, you know, she, her mother was from Sicily, barely speak English. They all talked Italian. And so, um, and, and never forget that that was a whole nother error. We're talking like, you know, as hyper and like, you know, like hard for me to handle as a child, you know, clearly I probably should have been, you know, like, Hey, let's, you know, maybe, you know, like something gone to um, therapy or something over my mom. And I was almost basically raped at the age of four, but that was stuff. No one, I mean, we're just, it's 2020 and we're just now getting around to talking about mental health. Right. So in 1964, five, that was just like, oh my God, the neighbors, or she'll grow out of it, you know, and because I, you, I didn't. Yeah. You do talk about how you never had any consequences. And basically, when your mom left, you just became the most spoiled brat because you were smart enough to know to use it to your advantage. Oh, I knew I could milk that. Oh, yeah. And so you, like, they never forced like anything you didn't <laughs> want or anything you did want, you always ultimately got, even if there was a slight struggle. Yeah. 
And it was interesting because as you got older and you got into more and more trouble that was more significant, you even said it, you never really thought past the thrill of the actual action. You never thought to the consequence, whether it be jail, whether it never. be death, whether it be ever anything, like these huge consequences that for a lot of us could scare us, quote unquote, straight. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't even go there because at that point, your brain was wired that consequences didn't exist, right? Right, because my thought, fa- so I, I read... Like I sometimes they, everyone always says never read reviews, right? But I look at them on Amazon. Ninety-eight percent of them are really great reviews. But there and there's a couple like I, one stands out in my head that somebody I don't God knows where this person's from, but like I find it really hard to believe that her father was able to pay off judges and blah blah blah. Oh, and I then I'm that. like, wait, I'm just like, you really must be from some you know, rural area in America because gray Lord, no one heard of that. Like my, the judge <laughs> and, and my lawyer went to prison, you know, my, it was my family's lawyer anyway. So, I mean, yeah, that, that's how it was done in Chicago. You know, if you knew, I mean, you paid the judge off and then you, you didn't go to also, jail. It's so interesting. Cause I do feel like that is still the argument till this day of just how corrupt our system is period. Yeah. Right. Well, especially not, back then. Now I don't think too many judges are being paid off, but probably not. But it's still corrupt in different ways. Yeah, it needs. It's broken, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, and there's still people that can get bought off somewhere along but the way. But you, you know what? I I always tell people, and I speak. I do a lot of public speaking, like you know, all over. People often ask me the same thing you asked me, like what what could have maybe changed that, right? And um, I can tell you when I think back, so. I was really, so I've always been competitive at however level you want. But even when I was a criminal, I was competitive because not that I was like, I'm going to make more money than you, but I was like relentless. I'm not going to come. I'm not going to go hustle. And like, I remember some hustlers like, you know, like, oh, I got 30 bucks. I can go in for the day. No, I was like, oh my God, no, I need hundreds, you know. But when I was a little girl, I was very athletic and, mm. um, and I'm an artist. I'm an artist. And when I was really young, I told my father I wanted to paint. You know, I, I started learning in school, in grade school. And the art teacher, I'll never forget. And it's weird because my favorite colors are kind of like red and black, right? And he, very, very young, he was like, I think I was like in fourth grade. And I, and I have a photographic memory also. And um, so I, I remember the um, teacher, like I could picture him right now. And I was painting something. And we were doing silk screens and all type of stuff. And he said, you know, I, I think your f- favorite colors are red and black. And I said, because I was a little girl. And I said, no, they're not. They're like, they're like pink and light blue, you know? And he was like, um, I don't, yeah, well, okay. I, don't, I kind of get in the feeling of red and black. So it's just a random memory. But, but the thing is I did join, um, when I was in grade school, I, this is not a real big deal, but um, two years in a row, I won the presidential physical fitness award and in the state of Illinois, I remember, I remember the gym teacher saying only six students in the whole state of Illinois won that. And, um, and then I joined the volleyball team and I, it was every Wednesday we in the morning. And I remember Tuesday night, my grandmother yelling, go to sleep. You have to go to school. And I, I would say, grandma, I'm so nervous. Cause like not nervous, scared, but like so excited. I couldn't wait till the morning so I can go play volleyball and kick some ass, you know? And we became like the, the best team out of all the schools. We were playing other schools and then we played the faculty and we won. Right. So I was very athletic. I loved gym. 
when I was in high school, I wasn't engaging too often, but the two classes that I always went to were history. I, and I still am a huge history buff and, um, and gym, like my swim, I was on the swim class. I, I'm not the team, but I was in swim classes and I, I'd be out on the campus smoking weed, dropping LSD, <laughs> but I made sure I went to that, you know, um, uh, you know, like um, the, the, the history of Egypt. I mean, it's like, I was really, you know, I'm not trying to, you know, there's a whole lot more smarter people than me, but I know you're very smart. smart. And, and the thing is, and I started believing then moving into a criminal career. I mean, like I said, I was like a juvenile delinquent and, um, you know, and me and my granny used to swear at each other all the time, but that's just how they, how she talked, right? And um, my uncle recently told me, no, your father taught her how to swear. Because I just assumed, like everybody in Sicily, they swear, but in, in Italian, right? And my, gra my uncle said, no, grandma did not swear. She learned all those words from your father when he was little, right? Well, anyway, so yeah, you know. But so we, do you feel I, like if you stuck with sports or if someone pushed you more to make sure you were like signing in art yeah more in art it would have given you more of like an structure energy and structure yeah yeah absolutely i i always say so even now when i because i go to grade schools high schools i go into prisons and even now i say because a lot of times i give um presentations like social workers or you know police departments and stuff and i uh, like they the, you know like because everybody's panicked because you know, the, the at-risk youth that are involved in violence and all this stuff, right? Like, what do we do? Oh, my God, and we need answers, right? But if, if you're really, like, pay attention because every kid has something, right? And, but we got to pull it out of them. It's our job, right? And, um, for example, there was this kid in high school. I always say kid. I'm 61, so everybody's a kid to me, you know? But anyway... <laughs> But um, there was this young man, kid, kid <laughs> when um, he was like, I think, a junior in high school and um, very poor family. And I would uh, go there in the winters as they do many different houses. And I get to collect a lot of donations of warm coats and for kids and school bags. And the lit my car looks like like literally it's year enough from here, but Maxwell Street Right. used to be the market back in the day where everybody was selling stuff. So um, everyone jokes with me, like, what do you got in your car, Maxwell Street? Like, I can't, if my life depended on it, I can only put one passenger in my car. And I, I've, I have an SUV. It's that full. My God. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, but um, so I went to the house to, to bring some coats to all the kids that were, um, you know, like all ages from five to high school. There was about seven kids there. So while I go in the house to say, bring these brand new coats, you know, for, you know, like different sizes. And they're like, Oh my God, thank you. And they didn't have coats. So I, I, I'm like, where's your brother? Where's your brother? You know, they're like, he's in his bedroom. And so I go and knock on the door and I, 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 he goes, come in. And I go, and he was like laying on the bed and he was drawing. Right. And so, and he was kind of a little bit high risk at risk youth, you know, kind of in getting involved, but still in school. And I said to him, Oh my God, let me see, let me see your sketchbook. Man, this kid was so talented. So it was like all the um, comic book figures, right? Like Wonder Woman and Batman and all this, like amazing, like as if he worked for Marvel, right? So I said, um, but he was drawn with pencil and pen. And I said, would you be interested in trying um, acrylic or any other, you know? And he was like, 
yeah, I would give it a try to paint. And I said, okay. So um, I raised some money and got him an art set and canvas. And then he started painting, right? And it was kind of keeping him off the street. And then he got through his junior year and I made a deal with him. And I said, um, okay, this is the deal. So um, would you be interested in going to the, um, uh, the Art Institute, you know, in Chicago for school? Would you be interested? He's like, yeah, of course. I have no money. I go, I'm a pretty clever girl. Let me fork something out here. You just graduate high school and I'll get you a scholarship there. And I did, you know, and, oh and he, yeah. So, you know, and then I, like, people will say to me, I don't know why you bother. And so out of 25 young people that you try to help, how many do you actually help? I'm like, okay, well, maybe only out of 25, maybe three actually changed their life, right? The three changed then, their life. Yeah, that's what I know. I get it. You get it. But they'll be like, okay, well, that's not even worth the risk of you. Bullets have no name. You're in the street. You could get shot. And I'm like, you know what? Um, I don't want to die. And I'm not trying to be a martyr. But if I died trying to save someone's life, I'd be okay with that. But I also feel like for people who are thinking like that, which clearly there's almost like a math version in their heads where it's like, it's not worth it because it's only three out of 25. They're like missing the amplification of it all. So Absolutely. It's like, like you save one kid, that kid goes to the art institute. Let's say he becomes a very successful artist. Now, and he's doing really well now. Right. So now he can go back into his old community and actually legitimately give them hope and inspiration and guidance because they see that it's possible. And that might be three more kids or four more kids. And yeah, absolutely. Them. Yeah, that's they're, how I... Mm -hmm. They're not realizing that there's a trickle down by... Yes. Because well, so and much you know of everything you're talking about. It's so interesting. I mean, there's two things you touched on, which I love, because, you know, I did want to talk about just your intelligence factor, which we are. I mean, the scams you ran... Oh, God. <laughs> no, but there's a, a lot of them were so brilliant. I mean, one of your first ones you talk about in the book is like you wanted to do a road trip across the U.S., right? And you needed $400, mm -hmm. I think. Mm -hmm. Was it $400? And you asked your dad for the money and the way you do. And he, I liked it because he always gave you what you wanted, but he gave you a hard time before he would, which is kind of Yeah, funny. yeah. So he gave you the hard time. And he like, didn't believe I'd raise any money, so he made the deal with me. Right, yeah. so he's like, you raise half and I'll give you the other half. Mm -hmm. And he told mm -hmm. your grandmother, do not give any money. And you were really smart. Again, you're scamming people, which sucks, but you're using your brain. It's just misdirected because you yeah. don't have the structure. And it's like... And, and, and acted the whole thing out with my bathing suit, my bathing cap, oh my God, and a I towel on the giggling. corner downtown. <laughs> yeah, I was giggling, picturing you sitting there being all cute, like saying, oh my God, I can't get on this bus home. Can I just have yeah. to... And you were just asking for two bucks. And the next thing you know, you raised all of the 400. <laughs> and then we're smart enough to tell your dad you only raised the 200 so that he would still give you the 200. So you walked away with 600 bucks. Yeah, right. Yeah. And all you need is 400. And that was when you were super young and they just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And so it's interesting to hear from you because that was one of the things. It's like clearly intelligence can only take us so far. If anything, sometimes it can take you the wrong direction because you're just you see how easy it is to do some of this stuff and mm -hmm. so and I like what you're saying which is there is this element of structure but it also feels like this element of just it's something I was thinking about today just simply knowing you can do it you know if you know you can do something like what you're providing for these kids that's just a huge thing you know I, I was thinking about it today of like how all these famous people, because of, you know, Kobe Bryant, and we'll talk about that, I'm sure, a few times, who just passed away. Um, and, you know, and he was raising, his daughter was, like, doing great in basketball and kept saying she was going to be, like, his legacy. 
And, you know, I think about all these famous people or people mm -hmm. that aren't even as famous, but just really successful, whether it be successful writers that I know and their kids are all doing these incredible things, whether it be amazing musicians or fighting for what they believe in in politics or actors. And I know that the flip side, people might be like, well, they have all the connections, which is true. I'm not saying they don't, but there's this one element nobody talks about, which is they're being given this idea that you can do it because in their parents, they see it all the time. Their parents are super famous or successful doing these things that most of us think is impossible, whether it's being a successful actor or dancer or singer. And I do feel like what you're giving to these kids is that same thing. It's this element of you can actually do it. And then yeah. when you get one kid to switch, they give that same gift back, which is you can do it. And that's a huge. Yeah, it's, it's a huge counts. message. Yeah. So there was another, there's another individual. Um, he probably was, this, he's probably like 26, seven now. Anyway, he's doing okay. He uh, moved out of state, but, um, in the beginning, even though his whole crew was like, no, Bianca's really cool. He was just like really, um, you know, suspicious. Like, who is she? She's not really, you know, like whatever. Right. And he would be yes. cool with me. But he wasn't engaging too much. He'd be like, you know, he'd be cool. And they'd be like, man, I'm telling you, she is so cool, you know. And so it took this kid like, he, well, probably I first met him when he was like probably 18. It probably took him like two years to really come around and be like, all right, I could trust her, right. And so I, so, and then we got really close, right. And then, um, I don't know, years went by. And, you know, every year I go to Springfield and, you know, advocate for um, different programs or whether it's after school programs or violence prevention, I'll, I'll type it here, the opi opiate uh, epidemic, right? But um, so one year they were doing a special session, um, a Senate, whatever they call it, special session, what do they call it? Um, Senate hearing, whatever. Oh, yeah. And okay. And, and it was about violence, right? So this is now years after I'm really close with the guy. Now, during all those years that you know, I, I, I'm going by his house. I know his baby mama. I know his babies. You know, I love them all, right? And so I used to tell him, I'm going to make an anti-violence activist out of you one day. And he'd go, God, stop, you know? So anyway, then years later, I was like, okay, I need, I, I need you to do something for me. And he's like, oh, my God, what do I got to do for you? And I'm like, I'm going to pick you up. And I was actually in Abu Dhabi um, working, and I got a call from the house and, you know, the, not that, I mean, the General Assembly, um, a representative, Kelly Cassidy, who is the uh, um, chair of the Public Safety Appropriation Committee. And so she was like, I know, I know you're in another country, but I really need you, you know, and I was almost done anyway. So I just said, you know what, I'm, he, she's like, can you bring some young guys that you have helped, right? I said, you know what, Kelly? She goes, I know you're, you're like another side of the planet. I go, don't worry about it. I'm booking I'm going to change my flight right now. I'm leaving in an hour, you know? So I flew all the way back, like what, 15, 16 hours on the plane, got off the plane. I had already prearranged through Facebook messenger with this guy. Look, I need, I need you to do this. Be ready. I'm, I'm picking you up on the West side. I don't want to hear anything again or never talk to me. You know, like I, in a loving way, threaten them. So anyway, so I get off the plane, get in my car, go pick him up and then drive four hours Springfield. I was so tired, but he went up there and he testified and it was mostly about innocent 
bystanders getting killed from um, crossfire, right? right? And like, you know, uh, you know, a lot of babies have caught a stray bullet in the stroller or young girls or whatever. So he was like talking about that, right? That, And he was real honest. And I said, don't worry, you're not going to incriminate yourself. So he was like, I've been behind the gun and I've been in front of the gun. And I, without Bianca, I would not, you know, be here now, right? Or have changed my mind, my attitude or my behavior. And he said, like, he's got two kids now and blah, blah. So um, when we were driving back, I, after we started driving for a little bit, I looked over to him and I go, okay, so now tell me, tell me, didn't I tell you I was going to make you an anti-violence activist? <laughs> so, it was just funny. But that was a major, major accomplishment. Huge. Was, Again, you're showing them another path in another way, which it's. And he, he felt, he felt so empowered that he had a voice at the general assembly to talk about enough is enough. Now, not so much saying I'm getting out of the gang and I'm not going to be, you know, all that stuff, but talking about the importance of keeping our children safe in these areas, right? And like he felt really empowered. And then I noticed he posted on Facebook and he was like, because I was taking pictures of him and he posted on Facebook, yeah, I had to go down to Springfield to speak up for my community, you know? I mean, that was like a big deal, you know? Sorry for the interruption, guys, but I want to talk about this amazing course that's coming up. It is a happiness course, and it starts October 1st, and it goes for seven Thursdays in a row. It's with Jamie Wozni teaching, and during this time, I think we could all use some in-depth happiness. So again, seven weeks in a row, starting Thursday, October 1st at 6 p.m. Again, that's 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, but you can be anywhere in the world to take this. It is virtual. It is through denanywhere.com. So wherever you are in the world, 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on Thursdays, join us. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at Bet. MGM, BetMGM, and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Let's go to denanywhere.com to sign up. a really fun opportunity for you guys. You know I don't wear a ton of makeup. Um, and when I do, I like to look completely natural and be good for me. So I'm obsessed with Thrive Cosmetics because they are vegan and cruelty-free. They're Leaping Bunny and PETA certified, so you know they're not messing around. And they're formulated without parabens, sulfates, and phthalates. So again, we do so many episodes about this. What you put in your skin and in your body is so important. So I love how clean they are. Also, they donate every time you buy something. They donate to women products and money. So that's pretty incredible. 
sustainable. So anyway, my favorite thing from Thrive that I've been wearing the most lately because I don't wear a lot is their mascara. Immediate looks like you got extensions. So it just shows off your eyes in two seconds and it is clean. It actually won Glamour's Best Clean Beauty product of 2020 for Best Mascara. That's how incredible it is. So why is this fun for you? Go now, go to thrivecosmetics.com slash Dentox. If you do the slash Dentox, you get 15% off anything you order. Again, thrivecosmetics.com slash Dentox. Now here's the thing. Thrive Cosmetics is spelled C-A-U-S-E, not how you typically spell cosmetics because get it, Thrive for a cause because they donate every time you buy something. So Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E dot com slash Dentox and get your 15% off. Well, can we talk about that of like a feeling empowered and feeling like the self-worth because it's interesting, you know, when you work, like you said, with so many gangs now and people on the street and you yourself was on the street for a long time, a homeless, not homeless, but doing it all, drugs, mm-hmm. um, scamming, in and out of jail. Until, I mean, when did yeah. you finally come out? I think at 40, you were finally, right? 40 is when you kind of made your shift. I think it was 40. Yeah, I can't. I mean, it's like. So from like uh, age nine, and then really you started kind of getting on the streets more high school till four. I mean, it's a long time. So you. That's a long time. Most of my life I was high. But it's also amazing you survived because I feel like so many people, and again, you guys have to read this book when you actually see what she's been through and how much you did. Um, I feel like most people were dead. Or I mean, I feel like I was like, on, like I didn't care. And towards the, like, the last half of that whole lifestyle, I didn't, never wanted to die. I was never suicidal. But it was kind of like I really had no hope. And it was kind of like, uh, God, really? I'd wake up. Do we have to go through this again today? <laughs> like, you know, so... Well, it's interesting because I, I felt that in the book too. It felt like the first, yeah, this first half of like your kind of nomadic drug induced. And I you know, think I'm having fun, right? Yes. You had yourself convinced that it was kind of like you said, there was still a positive attitude to it, even though you were like you said, scamming and every dollar went towards your drug habit. And sometimes your drug habit weighed the dollar and that's when things got a little tricky. Um, and yes, the second half felt sadder and got darker because again, when that oh, yeah. price of the drug started outweigh the money, no matter how much you were scamming coming in, you had to go to darker and darker places to get it. And you mm-hmm. did a lot of things, which we'll talk about, but it's one of the things I found interesting is, you know, you're part of a gang as well. And you talked about how there's this hierarchy and even this guy blue, who you ended up with at the end and you had two kids, kids with, yeah. he, he was kind of like high on the hierarchy. So yeah, people he was, really- yeah admired him. And it, I mean, they were like legit names like four star general or something. Yeah. Yeah. And I started thinking, (laughs) is that all because there's this lack of like self-worth out there that this kind of infuses it and what keeps people in (laughs) these games? Yeah, I do think so. It gives you this purpose and this place to grow and it gives you the structure we're talking about. It's just unfortunately in such a... In a negative way, yeah. Negative way. You know, I I remember, um, you know, I, I felt empowered not that so i was never like the gang member that was like let's go shoot people i've never shot or killed anybody but um clearly i've i've seen a lot of shootings and people get killed and i've been shot and my baby several of my baby daddies have been shot but um that's so sad that i have to several of my baby daddies have been shot but anyway but but the thing is that um when i look at how i am now and how like so this has been 10 years now right and when I look how I was back then, even though I was always a strong-minded, 
you were not going to beat me down. You were 50 when it Survivor, survivor, right? Even in that life, you know, like whatever, like even the most horrific scenes, even of me being raped and thrown out of a car, I would put my mind in a way like, you're going to get through this, you're going to get through this. You know, somehow I just accepted that, right? And then now when I think of it, I probably had low self-esteem, you know, see now I'm real. Although like you wouldn't have known that back then, well, like this guard, I, right? Yeah. I had this guard and like, I was a badass and I'm okay and all this stuff. But now I look back and I'm like, you know, um, I'm very confident. I was always confident back there, but it's a, it's a real confidence now. I don't owe anyone any explanation I do a whole lot of stuff without getting paid for it. And I'm okay. I don't care. I sort of, I don't care about money. Right. And, um, and you know what I'm, I, my, you know, I have my self-esteem is normal. Um, I, uh, people always say like, I'm now I'm starting to get the, you know, like, um, like family members, old my older family members say to me, you know what? I mean, like you're going to be 62. Let's just, I'm just telling you. And, you know, you still look okay and you still, you know, you're, but that's going to end pretty soon. You probably should find a husband. And I'm like, Oh my God, I am never lonely. Like I'm by myself a lot, but I'm never lonely. I'm like, right. yeah, in my mind, I am the happiest, richest person in the world, even though I live Chuck to Chuck and, and I'm hardly home. And I'm like, I, there's no boyfriend out there for me. And my family oh. always says, I'm like, who, they're going to be like, where are you? I'm out in the street. Like, I'm relentless, right? And let me just say before you, because I know you have another question, but. Always. <laughs> yeah, no, it's okay. No, it's okay. <laughs> but here's the thing. I used to be a major hustler, right? So I didn't lose those skills. But what I did is I transferred my negative hustling skills into positive negotiation skills for the greater good of the community. So it kind of is the same and, you know, like I look, I remember when I was really young and, you know, my grandmother, my aunts would be like, you know, you should go to school and you, you, you'd be a really good lawyer, you know? And then I'd be like, yeah, but so in my family, so like a lot of families, um, it's like, okay, you have to go to grade school and then you go to high school and then you go to college and you try to get accepted somewhere. And if you don't have a lot of money, then you go to, you know, what some kind of college, right? In my family, that was not, I we never talked about that. It was like, okay, you, you have to go to school until you're 16 and then you could drop out, you know? So that was the option. I'm like, Ooh, you know, and then right. kind of milked it my first two years, barely went anyway, you know, but. I want to talk about the power of the drug. So it feels like, I mean, like you said, you were always kind of all over the place and you started, you know, getting high really early, like at age nine, I think. Yeah. Um, popping morphine pills. Yeah. But it seems to me it was heroin that was like the tipping point. Like oh, when, yeah. When you started doing heroin is when you were probably not going back for a while or ever. No, right, and, yeah. And so, A, I want to ask before we even get into kind of your story with heroin, is heroin like if you could say anything to anyone or any kids out there, like just don't do that. Is that the drug where it's like, because it sounds like from what you were describing, I've never done heroin, it's like, you do it and you're immediately almost addicted. It's not, you're not given. Well, the first time, if you've never done it before, the first time that a person does heroin, it, you have to do it every day 
because your body has to, you know, like your the dopamines and all that have to adjust, right? So a person just doing heroin for the very first time, maybe they have to do it every day for, you know, I don't know, two to three weeks, and then they start getting a, a, a kind of a habit, and then obviously it, it increases. And, uh, you know, um, but once you're addicted and then get addicted, you stop and then get addicted again and then again. So like, like, for example, because then the body remembers it, right? right. The, the brain remembers it if you do it. So like, if and God forbid, I can never say that I know that by no means am I um, cured or anything like that. But, um, you know, people have relapsed back to heroin after 20 years, right? So my point here is, if I were to start doing heroin right now today, I'd probably have a full-blown habit in three to four days because my body would just remember it and jump right back in. And then we call it a burner. Then I might like after three days, my nose would start running a little bit and then maybe a couple leg pains. And when you become an addict, you it's a horrific withdrawal, but we get so... Um, you know, we don't want to go through any of it, right? It's just like the worst thing in the world. Like when I would get arrested, that's that I wasn't like, oh God, I got to fake this no, case. It was the like, fear fuck, was now the I withdrawal. yeah, the withdrawal, like, fuck, now what? You know, so I was always, um, you know, like, and, and anybody's the same way. They're all, everyone's like that who's on heroin. The withdrawal is so bad. And then people say, well, oh God, if you go through that one time, why would you go through it again? But I can't really explain it. And now when I think about heroin, I mean, I've, I can honestly tell you in the last 10 years, and like I said, I work at a university. I'm not, I'm not rich, but I make decent money. I have never, ever, ever thought, not even one time, you know, I don't know, maybe let me go just get one bag. I don't, I don't, that gives me, makes my stomach sick because my, my mindset is so changed, right? So, um, but the high you know, it's kind of like float. I don't know. You kind of, it's just kind of calming. A lot of people over the years, like when I would see, you know, the counselors in prison, because you have to see them, you know, when you first get there. And I, I've heard this so many times that I was probably self-medicating myself because I am a very hyper person. Um, I don't take anything for it now. I just kind of accept I'm hyper and like, if you have to work with me every day, you'll hear me say, thank you so much for your patience. I really appreciate you, you know, <laughs> but, um, but everybody knows I work hard and I get the job done. So they always say, there's always that one worker that kind of, you're like, oh God, you know, not in a bad way, but, but she does such great work that you're going to just like dip, go with it. Right. <laughs> so, um, you know, like, cause I'm kind of quirky and randomly, you know, going, Oh, I'm sorry. You're on the phone. You know, I don't knock, you know, I'm like, sorry, you know, right. But, um, but everyone's used to me. So, um, I don't, I think that I probably was self-medicating and sought to some degree and then started liking the high, the feeling of being dreamy and I mean, nodding. So, you know, it's interesting because I'm going to read a quote from your book where you say every kid with a gun thinks he will win Every addict believes he or she is above being consumed by drugs and can stay ahead of the wolves. I learned the hard way that neither is possible. It's very early in your book. Um, and I love it because, again, you know, you say everyone goes in positive of like, I'm indestructible. It won't get me. Yeah. And I think that's the clear arc in your book, too, is where you see when it started to get you where <clears throat> you are no longer indestructible. I mean, it actually gets pretty sad at the end. Yeah. But again, talk about this power of the pain of the withdrawal, the power of the drug that, I mean, like you said, you have five kids and 
at one point in your life, and I'm sure this is painful to talk about, but it is, it is. No, what it is. actually, I, I've, I'm to term, come to terms with everything. I'm, yeah, it's like you for sure chose the drug over those over children. my children. Yeah. I mean, you had to, I mean, at one point, I love them, but I wasn't willing to give up that lifestyle. And so at least I always tell them now, well, at least I left you in a nice house with good, uh, you know, my family like that doesn't, but I joke. Cause I'm like, at least I didn't leave you in a trap house, a crack a cocaine house. Or you garbage. Know? Yeah, but, absolutely. Yeah. No. Well, but the thing is, you know, I always say, you know, I mean, I was say I was a horrible mother. And then people say to me, actually, you probably weren't because you knew you couldn't take care of them and you gave them up, you know, and for that, sure. But it was interesting of like when you're reading the story of those moments that were so pivotal when easy to read when someone who's not in that space. So I'm saying yeah, I can yeah. see it more clearly because I'm not the one in in there. So that's why I want to talk to the person who's in it to understand more of like that feeling or what it's about or so more of us can understand it is. Yeah, you and like you would still fight for some ways for them. You knew you couldn't take them, but again, in that moment, it was never. In like, my, yeah, inside it was never me. Like, you know what? Will you take care of her? I'm gonna go get clean, and then I'm gonna come back to be a mom. It was more like, here, take them. And same thing, like you'd come out of jail multiple times, mm. and and I do want to kind of go through some of these amazing chances you've had in your lifetime. You've been oh, given, wow. you've been given probably like ten second chances, which is incredible, mm. and each yeah. time. You know, you would literally within days, like you'd get out of jail and in days be, you know, just go back out for the habit. And even sometimes when you were clean, like one time you got hep C, right? Was it no, not C, B. B, right. So your mm. liver's failing, you go home, you're almost dead. I almost died, yeah. And you have to get clean and you do get clean and you're feeling great. And literally in the minute you got the bill of being clean, you're like... Yeah, that my liver regenerated itself and I'm healthy. I went right back to it. Which is a miracle. I mean, that was literally, to <laughs> me, I'm like, you were handed a miracle. Some people's livers never regenerate and you were handed this beautiful mirror and you're like, great, okay, I did that. And you, right, you went right back to it. And so to me, I'm like, what is this lure? What is that power? Like, what can you talk oh, about? Oh, it's got a power over you, man. I'm telling you. Um, you know, I don't know. I'm not the most brilliant person in the world, but the no, but drug is very... It doesn't have to be. Yeah, that. I mean, no, I know you're not asking for a scientific um, answer, but like for me, I, so essentially the heroin, I was equally addicted to the street life. So that was a whole lot of fun. And that whole scamming and the leading up to hustling to get the money to go cop and outsmarting the police and, or having them follow you and they swallow the dope and they didn't get me. I'm mean, like, that whole, I mean, and like I want to say to your viewers, so I don't by any means mean to glorify any of this. I am not proud of the things I did in my previous life, but I'm very honest because at the end of the day, people, I've got, I get messages from my website and on social media all the time saying your book helped me understand my child or that's what people, I'm trying to, they, exactly. They can reach out to me like from all over the world. Like I just got a message from Oh, Germany, I think the other day, right? Right. Literally had to translate it on Google tra um, Translate, right? And yeah. I was like, I just saw you on A&E and oh my God, thank you for your work and like all this. And, I'm, I, and I read your book, you know? So, because, um, you know, like I said, I'm not trying to glorify anything, but my main um, audience that, you know, I, so we all know somebody who's struggled with either. So any dysfunctional behavior known to man, I have done, right? So um, yeah, everyone knows true, somebody that's homeless or doing drugs or on the way to drugs or, you know, like can't take care of their children or um, going to jail or, 
Yeah, there's like everything, right? So, um, yeah, it's, you know, and I'm, not, I'm not proud of any of that, but, but the thing is that I really don't um, have um, regrets. I do have one regret that I, that I, I regret that I hurt my family and my children the way I did, you know, especially my grandmother who on her deathbed, my name was literally the, the last name, the last word she said before oh. she died and hadn't seen me in like 16 years. But, you know, and I have to live with that now. Right. And, um, so I talk openly all, like I said, all kind of different shows and stuff. And, you know, there's that few people that are going to get the impression, like I'm bragging, like I outsmarted the police and no, in the end, I outsmarted no one. Right. I ended up alone I, and I by myself. I was going to say, if anyone actually reads the book, the journey gets very sad. Like, yes, there was a moment where you were sometimes ahead of the game, but you still like, you did a lot of time in jail. And yeah, right. by the end you did a, like the homelessness at the end became oh, really man. sad and dark. Like you were suffering and, and like dragging one foot in front of the other. And you could feel that. Like, the book. like so, I tell people, I don't know if you know what it's like to live hour by hour, but I know what that's like. Right. And, um, there's a, uh, Chicago police detective, this, um, uh, a female uh, detective who probably arrested me a million times, but they, she was always cool <laughs> to me. But anyway, I asked her to be an early reader. So she actually wrote a review and, um, she's just like, I, and I run into other police that are like, I thought you were dead. Oh my God. I can't even believe, or they'll find me on Facebook. But this one detective said that, through my, you know, because even, even, you know, my whole life, I'm still the same person. Just I just don't get higher, break the law, right? And so, but like, I've always been outgoing with this personality and, you know, but, and so she said underneath all that, there was like a really painful sadness within me that I didn't let people see, right? And that she um, felt that, that, that my book really was like, um, you know, something that she, she would not normally not be able to see or know about, about um, somebody she was arresting. Right. And it's like the whole, the whole trail from childhood to like, wow, yeah. wow, wow. Right. And so, and then, and then also then in the end of it that I actually get my life together. I mean, I can't tell you how many police, but like once you're arrested at Chicago police, um, then you're in the lockup, then they take you to bond court. Then from bond court, the, the Chicago police take you to the, to the, um, lockup or now they leave you until the bus comes to take you to Cook County Jail, right? And so there's like this, um, like you go in one gate and it shuts behind you, you're standing with the cops, then you have to wait for the people that are going to put you in the cell to come. And there's like maybe sometimes anywhere from five to 15 minutes that you stand there. I can't even count how many cops go, you know, really get your shit together. You, you seem like a smart girl. What are you doing? What are you doing? You know? So what is the thing or is there absolutely nothing, which I know is so hard. Like whenever I have friends who like have kids that are addicts of some sort, it's always the most heart wrenching thing. Cause it's almost like you can't do anything. If you could give any advice to parents or friends or people who are seeing people doing what you are doing and just spiraling to the negative in the addictions, in the scamming, not really giving a shit, like what mm. advice can you give, I mean, look, your family tried so hard to be present for you and then they finally gave up, but a long time. I mean, they yeah, stuck yeah. around for Yeah, quite they a loved while. me. They all did, right. But here's what was missing. It was kind of like, so like when you lecture somebody who's in that life, 
we won't, we shut that out. So like, it, it doesn't like, as much as I love my family, you know, like, what are you going to do? You're, you know, you're fucking your whole life up. And what about your kids? You don't go see your kids. And like, I already know all that. I already know how fucked up I am. Right. Maybe where you are. So, yeah, I'm just saying, so my advice to people, if you see somebody going down that road or so there's, it's a two part advice, first of all, um, so you, the, we have to accept that everyone recovers in their own time. And no matter what we do, some people are just destined to destroy themselves, right? And I learned that from one of my supervisors, LeVon Stone Sr., when I was panicked. And I write that in the book when um, young Pappy was killed because I tried and tried and tried and he got killed anyway, right? And I, and I was like blaming myself. I should have did this, I should have did that, right? And that's how a lot of parents are, even with drugs, right? Or whatever the problem is. But, um, we have to, we kind of have to want the help. When people say you have, to, you can only bring a horse to the water, you can't make them drink. But I say we can bring the horse and we can make the horse thirsty so he'll want to drink, right? So I feel like um, my advice to people who um, know someone or have this in their family or a close one, a loved one, encourage that person, build that person up, even if you only see them once a week, you know? say, you know, uh, you know, like we all have potential inside of us. So find what is the potential of this particular person, whether it's art, whether they have a good voice, whether they like to write, you know what I mean? Something or, or just encourage them to know that I love you. And when you're ready, I'm here to help you. I don't want you to die in the street. I love you so much. Give me a hug instead of like, like kind of in a way yelling, you're, you know, like, which is a typical way to react to that. I mean, that's kind of how my family would be sometimes too. Don't come over here anymore asking for money. We're not going to give you money. And don't even come here if you're high. I'm like, so then I just never went home anymore. That was the end of it, you know? So, but the, also people have to understand, because I get, a, I probably get 50 to 100 inboxes between all my social media every day, right? And I answer every one of them. And, uh, and, and people are like, you know, they, they don't know where to turn. They're at their wit's end, a parent or a sister or, or their family member just got killed or they died of an overdose, you know? And I answer everyone because I, it's the same kind of, um, you know, um, idea that, like that, what I'm saying to get the message. So but I answer everyone because I want them to, they're suffering and I want them to know that I care. So now right. you take that and you go and let someone else know you care, right? right. So um, I was on uh, the WGN Morning News one, one morning, and, and this has happened so many times when I've been on TV. And so um, I'll say that, you know, I get, a, I get 50 to 100 messages. That I answer every single one of it at the end of the night. And so then after that, and that's like a major news show in Chicago, <laughs> I started getting all these messages. And I answered, I was like, hi, yeah, you know, it's great to meet you, you know, and then the person, so many, like, it wasn't just one, it was so many people said, no, I'm good. I just wanted to see if you would actually answer the message. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I actually answered them all, you know. But anyway, um, you know what, a lot of people are so desperate, because they want to save the life of their child or you know, loved one, and they see them going down this road, and, you know, it is devastating, um, you know, my, my advice, just encourage them, show them you love them, be supportive, don't give money, don't give them money, well, feed that's them. A, yeah, that was, that's interesting, because you got a lot of money, 
Like they were. I did, and they were feeding your habit without realizing it for a long. It did not help me. Yeah. And getting me out of trouble. Somebody should have let me go to jail there. Well, I was going to say, you know, you say the first time you went to jail, you talk about like how awful it was in the beginning. Oh my God. And part of me, I made the note. I'm like, so if her dad would have let her go years earlier, because he got you off so many times, and you would have been younger, would that have changed? Like, would have? Would we don't know, but it probably would have deterred something. Right. It's just interesting. So I, I like what you're saying. You're saying let them get a little bit in trouble and don't feed the habit. Yeah, so so you have to be accountable. Like we all have to be accountable. But when you're in the street life, whether whatever it is, with getting high, we're not accountable. Like right. we're not in that life. It, it was kind of a little awkward for me when I started changing my life around because I had no responsibility. I didn't owe anybody an explanation. I had no rules, right? And like even like being at a safe haven, you know. And then them telling me like I had to wash one window every night at 8 p.m. and I'd, I'd be late to go do it, you know? Right, you're like, what the and I'd be like, no, I'd be like, okay, it didn't rain. I washed it last night. What is the big deal here? Like, I thought you're going to help me get my life together. I'm not going to go be a window washer. I mean, like, that's, I was so, oh my God. And they said, well, okay, if you don't, what do you want, paper or plastic? Because you're getting the fuck up out of here if you don't participate. Then I'd go, okay, where's the Windex, you know? And so I'd right. wash it. They gave you structure. But it was structure. And so the first time that they said to me, where I felt really powerful because these are like regular, you know, like, like people, you know, like I, not, I, you're not that we're not regular, but you know, we're in another world. And, um, they said to me, Bianca, um, which we want you to volunteer at five in the morning. If you can come down and answer the phones at the front desk, you are very nice to people and you have a good voice, you know, like, you know, um, a safe haven. This is Bianca speaking. How can I help you? Right. And I can't tell you how empowered that I felt. I felt like really fucking important. It's you know? so amazing. You, another quote from your book, which I love is there's no winning when your moral compass is upside down. And you're referring to kind of your competitive nature, but it's like, no matter how strong you are, or how much you go, if your moral compass is off. And my question from that, but we're talking about it right now was like, how do you on the streets infuse this heart slash empathy that you're talking about encouragement? Mm -hmm. And we're talking about it. And I do think it's so beautiful. It's like, think about how you can switch the moral compass versus changing the habit. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, so that's, so I always say, I no longer think the way I once thought. So I no longer behave the way I once behaved. Right. Right. And so that's really big. It doesn't matter. And and that that kind of type of a model can be applied to anything. But look, right you there, know? you summed up why I wanted you on the podcast, because that is what we do here. It's what dead meditation is all about. I say it in all of my classes, too. I'm like, we start switching the way our brain works, how we are intaking information and how we are putting it out. It will change your life. You yeah. Know and I love that you're saying it's the extent of this. We're like, I was homeless on the streets, turning tricks, stealing, you know, yeah heroin, giving up my kids, and I just changed the way my brain, how I thought. So it's slowly like started being rewired through the help of Acid Haven. And, um, and I didn't even realize it, but, but in reality, they were teaching me responsibility, right? And even though I thought, oh, I'm real social, I'm real outgoing, I talk to everybody, but really, I didn't have social skills, you know? So in the end, so like earlier on, when my sister, uh, Cricky, um, Christina, we call her Cricky, 
she lives in Florida and she started, she comes every summer, but you know, and, and this was like years ago, I'm a little more polished than, than I, you know, I keep learning and stuff. But anyway, it would be funny when we'd be at like family, the family, you know, everyone gets together when she's here. And I just like, you know, I'll blurt something out or like in the middle of a conversation, be like, okay, so where did you get those shoes? You know? And then my sister's like, oh my God, don't pay attention to my sister. She was raised in the penitentiary or, um, <laughs> or, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, or she'll say she was in a drug and my other sister, Dina says, um, cause I forget, um, she adopted one of my, one of my children, um, yeah, yeah. at birth, Christina. And so I remember Christina, my sister, Dina called me and said, Christina's really mad at you. And I go, why? And she said, something you said on Instagram or something to, on her page. And I go, well, what, what? I mean, I didn't mean any harm. What? And she goes, I know, I know. I told Christine, Christina, she's been in a self-induced drug coma for 36 years. She's like a five-year-old. She doesn't know. You just got to tell her. I don't want to talk about it. And she won't talk about it, right? So, and it is to an extent true. Although, like I said, you know, but, but at ACP Haven, I was like, you know, I didn't even realize they were literally teaching me normal everyday things and responsibility. Like I knew I had to be somewhere at the same time when I was in like, I, I didn't have to be anywhere. I literally stayed up three, four, five, six days. I passed out then, you know, and slept till I slept, woke up if I, you know, and talk then started all over again. Talk about your turning point. So you were in jail, your final, you know, what do you call your final time in jail? And your dad passed away while you were in there. Yeah. Um, so, and your grandmother had already passed away, right, at that point? Yeah, she passed away in 2004. And, of course, I was way more closer to my grandmother. And I was devastated when that happened when I was in prison. And basically was, like, in a seclusion in my mind for about a month before I could even talk about it. Right. So talk about what, or what do you think, in hindsight, what was it about this news and everything that really you think was your catalyst? Because this was the well, catalyst change. Yeah, it really was. So my um, my father, though, is my father, and I did love my father with all my heart, you know, and I know he loved me and would have done anything for me. Um, but like I said, you know, um, I, you know, was way more close to my grandmother, but it's still your father, right? And so um, when I got the news that he died, I knew he was sick because Aunt Louise, you know, would send me a letter and send me pictures. I, I'd look at a picture and I'm like, who is this? You know, I like, Oh, that's your son, Anthony, or that's Sean, or, you know, so I'm thankful to her. Cause I, I wouldn't have recognized my kids if they passed me on the street. But anyway, so I knew he was sick and then I got the news and I immediately remember it like crying. And, um, you know, of course I was saddened that my father died but it was more of a guilt, like what a fucking piece of shit daughter am I? I should have been there with him, right? Well, I kind of try to deal, you know, like, you know, get myself together. And then all of a sudden, it's just, I, I always say in my father's death, he gave me life, mm -hmm. even though he already gave me life when I was born, no, born but in his death, he really gave me life. And so when I started thinking about it, it just was like, an, what's the word? A epiphany. Epiphany epiphany mm -hmm. so um i started thinking i went back to my cell and i started thinking like um you know your family's all dying they're get getting old like in my mind all those years um 
you know, I think I thought time freezes and I can just go in and when I get ready to engage, I just kick back in. It'll be the way it was. And my, sometimes my aunt Louise would send me pictures of like my grandma or my dad. And I go like, who are these people? They're old. And without even realizing to look in the mirror, you're getting old too, you know? So like still thinking I'm 25 or something. Right. And so, um, when my father, um, I, I kept wrapping that in my head, but the counselor, and I wish I knew who she was because I would, I, I think her name was, um, uh, Bennett. I think, um, I, I, I would love to go. I want to thank her or take her to dinner or something because she doesn't even know this, but her, one sentence she said to me changed my life. And um, she took my hand when I was crying and she said, Bianca, I want you to find comfort that your father died peacefully and with his loved ones around him. That was a changing point because at that moment I knew that we all have to die. What better way with the people you love and peacefully, right? And so I kept replaying you know any trump traumatic thing you replay in your head i'm in my cell laying in my bed in between like spurts of crying out of guilt and feeling bad my father died and then started hearing that counselor say over and over and then i then i pictured yeah you're gonna die violently of a of a, of a bullet or a drug overdose left in some alley they won't know who you are because criminals we don't we we don't carry id because we we make up names and so They'd have to fingerprint me, but they'd find out my name. But then would they even know who I belong to? And worse yet, I thought, would my family even claim my body? They might say, Oof. we can't put those children through that, right? Dark. Yeah. You've been, you've been dead to us already. We're not putting your kids through this like trauma already. So I started thinking about that, and I thought, and then I remembered my grandmother Oh my God, when we lived in Little Italy and I went to St. Calista's Church and every Sunday, my grandmother was the big hit with the nuns because she made Italian cookies for them. And um, she would drag me to the convent every Sunday. And uh, I remember like kind of, I mean, I was kind of already a wild kid and somewhat of a, you know, seven-year-old juvenile delinquent in my own right, however much you could be at seven years old. But I remember like somehow getting impressed by these nuns, you know, and, and then they gave my grandmother um, uh, a handmade crystal rosary. And um, anyway, and I kind of thought that was kind of cool or something. And then we left the convent and I said, when I grow up, grandma, I'm going to be a nun. And then she was like, oh, you're going to go to school. I, you know, you're, and then I said, no, grandma, when I grow up, I'm going to be somebody. I'm going to be, and I was seven. I'm going to be somebody. I'm going to make a difference, grandma. And I'm going to take care of you. Cause even though we weren't really poor, but she lived through the depression. So what I saw in my seven year old eyes, my grandmother was used to with the washing board and she'd hand wash, even yeah. though we, they had a washer, but she'd yeah. wash everything, scrubbing like old fashioned. And so I, I told her that. So during when I'm in prison and my father died and I'm, am I laying on my, on my bunk and, all that's going to my head. And I'm like, Oh yeah, you really made a difference. Oh yeah. You know, like I was being hard on myself, like telling yeah. myself off, like, Oh yeah, piece of shit fucking daughter you are, you know, Oh yeah. You made a big difference in, in people's lives. You know, you, you know, it was just more than I could bear. Right. And then I, um, I mean, not everyone could read the book and get all the details, but I did say a prayer to God. And normally, I mean, I do always believe in God and I love God and, 
but you know, I mean, mostly God was like my rappy, you know, God, yeah. please let the dope man be there. Right. God, please don't let me get busted. <laughs> I'd make the sign of the cross before I'd go into Nordstrom's to steal or, or Macy's, <laughs> you know, like, okay, God, just don't let me it get busted. the relationship God was like, really. Yeah, it was different, God. right? <laughs> so, um, but whatever. And so I, I, I wasn't sure the prayer, you know, I had a Sally, my roommate was like very, you know, Christian and she was like just say a prayer do you pray and I go I, I don't I, I, I God doesn't have anything for me because what prayer like I you know don't let me get busted that's my prayer let mm -hmm. the dope man be there I'm sick you know um let me get enough money to get some heroin you know or something so she was like no 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 just just ask him what you want so because I wasn't really accustomed to like asking God or praying for something I in my own way, made a deal with God. My, this was my deal. God, I'll make a deal with you. If, and I was really sincere, obviously. And I said, if you take the taste of the heroin and the streets from my mouth until my last dying breath, I will help people. And I have never turned back. So um, I feel like doors were open um, for me or, you know, and then a month clean and two months and then I started noticing people kind of looked at me with a little bit of respect, you know, and I thought, you know, I kind of felt like, oh, you know, okay, you know, this is, I kind of like the way this feels, you know, and people actually ask my opinion. And then I was doing a lot of volunteering while I was there, getting signatures for politicians who were, you know, going to be running for, on the ballot. And I kind of felt so important, even though it's just getting signatures, but I felt like I was doing something like I was doing something for my community. And then I got my job working, you know, with at-risk youth, um, with ceasefire and, um, it just went from there. But I honestly believe wholeheartedly that in my father's death, he gave me life because that was the turning point. And that counselor, like that one sentence made me realize that we all have to die. Pick which way do you want to die? And now I'm like crazy over it. When I'm healthy, my doctor, so, you know, I have insurance, you know, I'm a state employee. So <laughs> I, you know, it's like, oh, so years ago I start, you know, going, I have a primary. And so I got like real crazy with them. And I'm like, look, I lived, a, this is my life, blah, blah, blah. And um, I need to hold the whole battery of tests to make sure I'm healthy. Do I have HIV? Am I dying? Is my liver okay? Like everything, right? So he does all these tests. I uh, like liver scans, uh, well, it's all type of stuff, right? Whatever you could, the body has to go through all the, everything. When I go in there to the results and he's shaking his head, Dr. Sanchez, I, I love him. He's such a good doctor. <laughs> anyway, so he's, he's looking at the computer and he's like shaking his head and I'm like, what? Oh my God. Oh my God. What do I have? Oh my God. He goes, no, he's like, you're like a medical miracle. You know, he was like, I am astounded because he said, you don't even have any lesions on your liver. You have no scarring. Your liver's fine. You don't, you don't have HIV, you know, and um, I know I don't want to be mean to be inappropriate or anything, but um, another miracle is as promiscuous as I was and all the prostituting and all that crazy life, right? I, could tell you face to face right now I've never had a sexually transmitted disease and that's like I I know it's like so so there I and people will say to me sometimes oh God had you go through this life because he had a bigger plan for you I do not agree with that uh, what, what it, in your mind 
do you have a spiritual take on it? What do you yes, think? Yes, I do. So God, and in and, and no way am I this big religious person, but I am very spiritual, right? And I do believe in God. But I believe that the God that I pray to, my God would never have an unborn child being created in, in, in a woman's body and go, okay, here's the plan for her life. You know, she's going to be a prostitute and a junkie and a criminal, and she's going to hurt her whole family. And then she's going to walk away from her children. I can't imagine that. Right. I feel that like, uh, humans have free will, right? Mm -hmm. So we could choose to do right or wrong. Right. And so I believe though, that I, because I chose that life. I don't blame anybody. You know, I, I had plenty of chances and, you know, I chose to do that. So, but what I do believe is that when I was ready in my heart, really, I wanted to make a difference. I wanted to change my life. I wanted my family back. I knew it was going to take years before my kids would talk to me. Um, I was willing to do whatever work I had to do. Right. I believe God took all that negative behavior and open doors where that would be valuable to somebody so I can have doors open to help others. All right. That's how I look at it. Well, I mean, the beautiful thing is no matter how anyone looks at it, you are taking what you learned from that time of your life and you are using it to help others. And yeah. it's, it's really beautiful. And I want to do your four use, which are just four quick questions before we get into your quote that inspires people. But I mean, again, one of the reasons I wanted you on here, which I love, and it's funny because like with Kobe Bryant passing, I feel like we're talking That's a lot so about sad. Ugh, it's, it's awful, especially in LA, you can feel this like oppression of it. And yeah, right. The last few, the last 30 seconds, like oh, I, I might, the pain, my heart's broken for all, all. Yes. People. I can't imagine the fear. And I think about it, I'm like in a loophole about it, but you know, unfortunately I see there's been a few, you know, comments kind of bringing up he's a rapist, he's this, why are which it's, I know, I saw. It, it drives me so crazy and makes me so sad because again, I feel like what this episode is about and what we're talking about again is every human being is multi-layered at different times in their lives. It may yes. be towards what we perceive as good or bad, but it is all multi-layered and it's humanity. And to think a beautiful soul does not have parts of them that have done or not hurt or not helped I mean, we've done it yes. all. And I mean, that just breaks my heart that people feel the need. It's like, then don't say anything. You don't have to mourn him. Nobody right. has to mourn You, you don't have to say any. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. I don't like that. The like, judging. Kind of sing and like sing and dance around something that was negative versus there's so much beauty too. Yeah, and yeah. Everyone, and everyone's created that way. Everyone's made that way. I mean, kind of what I was thinking was like, I hope when you pass that people don't choose to judge the one or two yeah, worst yeah. things you've done in your life because there's very few of us who ever get to that place and haven't done some shitty things in their lives. So, yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. So I love this episode too because it is the reminder of just how multifaceted we are and how layered we are and that there's always hope and that none of those layers are the definition. They're just all part of the bigger recipe. And it is, there is a group, and there's stuff like you have to be ready but you are such a living, breathing example of, of being able to see how you can come out the other side. And it's still part of you. And like you said, you don't you know, deny it. You're not apologetic over it because it is who you are and were. But you yeah, are yeah. Using all those things now to really understand these people in a different way. And be able who to are help out them. there. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. 
So thank you I for agree. that. And thank you for sharing and being so honest. Make sure you guys are taking advantage of this opportunity with denanywhere.com, a monthly subscription for only $29.99 where you can take all live classes with us any time of day and archive classes. So if the times of days don't work for you, the classes are archived and you can go back and take them then as well or take your favorites over and over and over again. Plus, if you're looking for certifications or challenges or workshops, anything, we have so much on denanywhere.com and we do virtual workshops every single week. So please join us. You can join us from anywhere in the world. That's what's amazing. Let's keep growing this community. And we love that now our community can grow past Los Angeles. We'll see you at denanywhere.com. Quick four use. What is, what do you do when you first wake up? I, the, <laughs> I before I even pee, I push my um, coffee because I have it ready and I push that to the cup that's already making. Then I pee, wash my hands, drink coffee and um, check my email and any text messages. And then I jump in the shower. I know you're so crazy busy. Do you um, pray still? Do I what? Do you still pray? I do. Uh, Well, I, I, um, so I don't ask God for anything because I feel that I am blessed that I'm alive. Right. And that's okay for me. But, but I, I thank God multiple times a day. Like I'll just be driving out Lakeshore drive going to work, you know, and I'm like out loud and, and I'll say, it's kind of almost funny. Like, but well, but you know, like I don't even care where, I don't care who's next to me. I don't owe no one an explanation. And I'm like, God, thank you so much for my life. Thank you, God. Right. And people sometimes will look at me and then I have colleagues that, that like, we'll be, we'll be at the university and get in the elevator. And then I'll just spurt out. I rebuke you, Satan, in the name of Jesus Christ. And then we'll get out of the elevator and then my, co- my colleague will go, like in the beginning, they would say, oh my, are you nuts? You know, I'm like, no, I, sometimes I get like a slight bad thought and I have to say that. And then, so now it's like a joke where they're like, say if I'm walking on the street and all of a sudden I blurt out. Satan, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus, Jesus Christ. And then, then my friend will go, you were going to push the lady in the street, right? And I'm like, <laughs> maybe, I don't know. You know, I got to be. Like, gotta what was it. the bad thought? That's yeah, bad yeah, thing. yeah. But it's uh, nothing really bad. But I, um, it's nothing like about drugs or anything. But I, I don't know. I just like, so I, I'm really grateful to God. And I want to thank him for blessing me with my family and my children. And, um, and, but when I, if I do ask God for anything, it's usually praying for a young life or, making things better. Um, I, I pray that, um, you know, and I don't do this all the time, but um, I may like not on an everyday basis, but I do pray. Um, I do a novena. And then I also will pray, um, to ask God, um, because I am a firm believer. And, um, like I said, people like, I hate when people accuse me they're, cause they're like, Oh, you know, you're a bleeding heart. I hate that, you know, because I'm like, no, what is wrong with people? I don't want to give the whole store away. I want to teach people, right? right. I want to help them and then teach them so they can be self-sufficient like someone taught me. But in order to do that, we need funding so we can have a program or resources to t- send someone. So right. I'll pray um, for God to, for, you know, I do, on a, I do I work in a lot of different policy change with different legislators. And um, so I, I pray, I ask, that's what I ask God for. But I, me, myself, I got, I'm good. 
Like if I, God forbid, died this minute, I would be the happiest, most richest person in the world. And again, I live chuck to chuck. So here, I always say this is one of my quotes. Um, Success is not measured by the amount of money you make, but by the quality of life you live. Totally agree. That's beautiful. What about how do you process sadness and tragedy now that you're confronted with it all the time? I am confronted with it all the time. Um, I I deal with it a lot better now, um, you know, 10 years later into the game of doing this work. Um, Earlier on, I I took it a little harder. I would, you know, it was hard, but I've learned over the years. It is very hard for me. I go to way too many funerals than I, you know, want to even admit to. Um, I work, I just, right before we started this podcast, I got a call from someone because I the whole world knows my phone number and if I ever had to lose my phone number we'd there'd be the world would explode and go away because like you know but anyway a mother had just called me who lost her son to gun violence and needs some grieving victim you know counseling right so I um immerse myself more it it hurts it never goes away it's never not going to hurt right but I have to take comfort on those times, those dark days that I've lost somebody that I tried to help, or even just a random person, I have to take comfort in the stories and the people that I know I saved their life, or a mother that hugs me and says with tears in her eyes, you saved my baby's life. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. What it's is not my- easy. No, I can't imagine. And here, we'll end on a a lighter note, and I think I know the answer because of earlier, but what is like a guilty pleasure for you, especially now that you don't do drugs? <laughs> what is what? A guilty pleasure for you. Um, so I do smoke cigarettes. I'm trying to quit. Um, my, so, okay, that, now I'm going to sound like a real dork, but my guilty pleasure, like I am a major Star Trek fan, okay? I love and it. Even, I, and even when I was in the life, I'd find some trap house where even with some type of TV, even in the, in the joint, like – like I'd have to watch Star Trek. Like, like that's not a typical thing that you hear that that's on TV in the penitentiary, right? And I, <laughs> I'd be like making deals. Wait, I'll, okay, I'll get you Nutty Bars, a box of Nutty Bars. I need to watch this episode, you know. But I, um, I watch. I have seen all the, and now I'm so excited about Star Trek Picard. I'm well, like out of my mind, right? Yes, that's right. Well, I saw the first one, and it was like so good. And I want more, and so now I have to wait till Thursday. But anyway, <laughs> like. Voyager is my favorite at Star Trek Voyager, and I probably have seen every single episode, I don't know, five, six hundred times, you know. So I literally all year long, every night I watch one episode, there's seven seasons, right? And I go through all seven seasons pretty quickly because I'm watching once one episode a night, and I start it all over again. And Andy Griffith, the same thing. <laughs> and um yeah, but Star Trek, I'm a big Trekkie. And um, oh, anyway, that's a great answer. Yeah, so that's a, my my guilty pleasure. It's a great answer. You're oh, great. and I have to say, if you ever run into Jerry Ryan, seven of nine, um, <laughs> no, like I don't know who you know. We you don't know who I know. We don't know who people know, right? She is my hero. She has no idea the darkness that she has got me through and gave me strength because I love her character of seven of nine and seven of nine was perfection and was not going to let anyone, you know, get over on her or take her down kind of like, and I, I took comfort in her character and it made me strong. And also 
Captain Catherine Janeway because <laughs> never underestimate her. So they are my heroes. Amazing. Um, I can't wait to get into your personal practice, which is a quote that has helped you get through dark times. Quick question. So it doesn't even be a lot like you clearly have a relationship with your kids now. So they've all forgiven you. Do they what? Yeah. Yeah. You know, they took, it took some time for my oldest. He didn't come around until about four years, but yeah, they're all good. Um, my, my Ashley in the book, um, I, I put it Rachel because um, she's married. Now it doesn't matter. Cause she's, you know, she was like, well, you could have used my name. Cause at first I was like, cause her husband is a um, police officer. Right. And I, I, I was trying to spare her. I didn't want anyone right. to ever go up to her and go, Oh my God, are you Ashley from that book? You know, who right. knows what's going to happen, but she's fine now. And, and um, she's my second child. Um, she was talking to me and coming around, but then in the last few years, she kind of was like, you know, all the way in, right? Where, so we're fine. My grandchildren all call me grandma. Um, I love them all. Um, my son yells at me when I'm with my eight-year-old Gemma because um, she's real hyper and I'm real hyper and we're both talking at the same time. And he's like, oh my God, mom, you're like a five-year-old, you know? <laughs> so yeah, um, I, yeah, and I love, I'm just, I, you know what? I, I missed something. I, I have one ask of God. I pray to God and ask him to keep me healthy so I can live 20 more years. So that's at least 80 something. So I can help as many more people as I can and have more time with my family, you know? So that's the only thing I ask him for my, please let me live 20 more years, you know? But um, yeah, I'm good with my kids and family and cousins and it's great. See, you guys can do it. Transformation is Anyone, possible, yes. and I love that. So thank you for being here. Thank you for sharing. In a minute, we're going to get to her personal practice, but really, you're an inspiration, so I appreciate it. Oh, thank you. So now Bianca is going to do her personal practice, which is a quote that has helped her get through a lot of difficult times. Um, okay, save one kid one day at a time. And I believe that um, kindness starts with one person. And um, if we all do this, um, you know, I think that it will spread. And I think that more kids, will, I'm like, I'm okay if I could save one kid a day, you know, out of the millions. And then I always say, um, be kind to a stranger. And I often say, you know, smile at a stranger. I do that. My um, idea for that is that um, I used to belong to the invisible population and I never want anyone to be invisible. I want them to know that I see them. I may not have money to help you. Here's some socks. Here's a banana. And even if I have nothing, you know, hey, I hope you're okay. Um, I just want you to know that I just, I, I'm broke right now, but I definitely would buy you something to eat if I could, but you have a great day. So they, now they, that, that, that means something. Cause they kind of know like, wow, she actually saw me instead of like turning the other way. So those are things that I live by. And also if I don't break a small role, I won't break a big role. And that's really important to me because in my previous life, I was such a con artist that I honestly have to keep that demon at bay. And so like, I, like I, I won't take any risk that will take away anything that I worked so hard to get back that I lost at my own choice. So I feel that like I do smoke cigarettes. I'm trying to quit it. But anyway, so when I smoke a cigarette and I'm walking the street, I literally put the cigarette out when I'm done on the, on the, on the sidewalk. I hold the butt until I get to a garbage can to um, throw it in the garbage can. So with that, for me, is um, 
I'm like, okay, if I start breaking little rules, I might con myself into like, well, I don't know, maybe you could do this or that. So I refuse. I'm by no means a Mother Teresa, but I don't break any rules. I won't park an inch over the yellow line. I like literally will drive around the block so I find another spot. People always tell me and laugh and go, oh my God, what is, you're a half an inch on the yellow. And I'm like, I don't care. I can't do it because that's, I'm breaking a rule. So I'm kind of, you know, that's my way. Dentalks podcast would not exist without these incredible people, Nicole Rappi, Reem Edon, Hayden Fungheiser, Kim Bielek, and music by Alex Fetter. Thanks for joining us. If you haven't subscribed, please do. And also wherever you listen, please go and leave us a review. It's so greatly appreciated. It really does help us out. If you want to keep talking about all this stuff, please join our community on our secret Facebook page. Go to Facebook, search Dentalks podcast, and join us there. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.